What's deadlier than a dungeon trap, Matt? A trap made by gnomes. Tonight, let's explore eight devices of whimsical destruction. That's how we roll. 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 Welcome to the Goblin's Corner. My name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And tonight, we're talking about gnomish death traps. That's right. We've got a whole bunch of fun traps created by gnomes yes. that you can use for your campaign to kill your players. Or as inspiration <laughs> for your own gnomish machines to, to kill, kill your, your players. players. That's right. So if you haven't yet, hit that like and subscribe button. Help us get our show out to more people and get notified when more amazing episodes come your way. And if you're listening to the show, drop us a review on iTunes or Podchaser. Yeah, it'd be a nice thing to do, right? Get the word out. Indeed, get we'd appreciate it. checking out our show. So... Why are we talking about gnomish death traps, Matt? First off, gnomes are very inventive, and we thought it would be amusing if we did a show on devilish traps that weren't actually intended originally to be traps. Yeah. So as we mentioned before, all of these are failed gnomish inventions. Every single one of them that got repurposed into becoming a dungeon trap. Right. Which is great, right? And the other thing is, you know, if you think wizards are crazy... Just take a look at gnomes. Or wizard gnomes. Double down on it. Double down on the crazy there. We also did what, Matt? Well, we did, many moons ago, an entire episode on being a better bastard, which was about building traps. And so, we thought it would be fun to re-envision this episode, but with gnomish traps tonight. Because, honestly, we like making traps for dungeons. Sure. And What's so, not to love? Yeah. And so tonight, we've got eight gnomish traps, both amusing and deadly. Now remember, these are all repurposed gnomish inventions that once did something else. And so we will provide description of the traps, how the traps work for your dungeon, like how, how it actually works. Right. And then finally, a little bit of what? A little bit of lore. Yeah. Some of that flavor. Get a little bit of flavor you can add to your campaign. And of course, you're free to change it up if you want. But we thought this was just amusing of how these... Crazy inventions became death traps. So Plus, it gave us a reason to come up with some gnome names. Absolutely. So, on to the death trap. And I've got the first one. You I'm, do indeed. I'm very pleased of this particular death trap. This is a throwback to a couple episodes ago, in fact. Yes. We did an episode on mimics, and we mentioned a, having a mimic be at the bottom of a trap. Well, guess what? The mimic is the trap. It's called the mimic pit trap. And what a great way to start. Who doesn't love a gnome with a pet mimic? That's right. So the description is as follows. The adventurers stroll down the hallway of the dungeon and seeing a way out, bolt for the door. Suddenly the rogue, who is in the lead, disappears to the sound of a sickening thump and slice. Mm. Mm -hmm. The rest of the party rushes over, seeing a massive pit and the rogue alive, and that's when the crunching sounds begin. <laughs> that's a great description. So I got a fairly good idea, but how does it work? The mimic pit trap is very simple. A pressure plate activates the pit trap, whereupon the poor soul falls 20 feet into a bed of pit spikes. Sure. The spikes are actually a mimic-shifted form, and as soon as the food is impaled, the mimic promptly begins to feed. That's it. Yep. Yeah, super it's, simple. It's a mimic that has gotten to turn into a bed of spikes. But we wouldn't be us if there weren't a little bit of lore to go behind this. It's true. So how would you get a mimic to become a pit trap? Well, we figured this out. So the lore is... Gnomish zoologist stumbled upon Blady, a dungeon mimic, and brought it home to study its biology with the promise of food. Blady 
soon proved to live up to its name after eating five of the researchers, and rather dispose of the creature, the zoologist used it as a welcoming trap against dungeon monsters and rival groups of researchers. This See, is a bunch, a bunch of gnomes. Yeah, all. man, you gotta you gotta solve the problems before they happen. Hey, man, the world of academia and gnomish culture is tough. The world of academia is tough. Yeah, I could use a mimic pit trap someday. I was gonna say I know a couple of uh, researchers who wouldn't mind having one. This is an easy trap to throw into your dungeon because all it requires is a pit and a mimic. Sure. And by the way, it doesn't have to be spikes. Could be a bled. I don't know. A bed of nails could be some kind of blades that slice you on the way down. Could be the ladder leading out. Oh, what a great idea. You, you climb start climbing the, the ladder and it just folds on you. Yeah, use your imagination, right? It's a mimic in a pit. Lots of different options are available for that. Now, you might have kind of gone the next level with our traps. And I love, A, the description, and B, the whole idea behind this. Tell me about the gnomish pinball. Certainly. The description is this. The group has made it to the jeweled idol. They carefully enter the main chambers, but oops, the cleric sets off a pressure plate. Suddenly, the entire party is enclosed in a titanic metal ball with spikes on the inside and promptly launched, bouncing off of every wall through the dungeon and into a bloody heap at the entrance. <laughs> so it's a big pinball machine? Yes. Dungeon pinball machine? Yep. I love this. That's it great. slams closed on them launches them and they just ding 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 on their way out and there happens to be spikes in it sure uh, you kind of described a little bit of it but how does it actually work how does the trap work for the dungeon essentially the trap is a prime trebuchet okay which will hit the spiked ball the spiked ball which is for all intents and purposes an iron maiden mm -hmm. encloses everyone within a five foot radius and launches via a large spring-like mechanism to shoot the ball down various hallways and out of the dungeon. They step on the pressure plate. It just kind of slams shoo, shut, locks in, yep. poof, pops them out, and they just bounce off all the walls. Yep. Within the dungeon are small stone decorations, which control the direction of the ball. Think like Indiana Jones. So right? it's, Where, it's rolling along the, the various sides and stuff. Got it. Right. As the ball is bounced along the various hallways, the spikes inside... Continue to impale the players. Sure. Because they should. What a great trap. Now, this is obviously very deadly and very trap-like, but what's the lore behind this? So this trap was originally a launch pad hidden within the cushions of a large sofa owned by the wizard Bosco Lumpwallow the Plush. You got to have a sofa if you're a wizard named Bosco. Was it Bosco Lumpwallow the Plush? Yes. Yeah, I love that. Never one for conversation. He crafted this device to safely remove unwanted visitors. It also doubles as a quick exit should Bosco choose to leave. After his death, <laughs> his apprentice upgraded the device into his present more deadly form, i.e. he added the spikes. So it originally started as this kind of isolated wizard who didn't want to be bothered. Yes. People would sit on his couch, get launched out of the dungeon. Yeah. And oh, take a seat. Click. Damn researchers coming and bothering me, talking about their mimic pit traps, and then his he died. His wizard's like, oh, screw these guys. It's gonna be a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bit more of a physical deterrent here. Yeah, I want them gone, gone. I love that. That's awesome. Now you have a trap, simply called the seesaw. Yet another mechanical trap. Also, I might add. Okay. 
So we're kind of on a little bit of a roll here. This one's called the seesaw, as you mentioned, and the description is thus. The paladin crosses the corner and sees a long hallway, absent of any particular markings of interest. He strikes promptly across and hears a loud click. As he should. As yeah, That's what you get when you're the paladin striding first in a dungeon. As he doesn't immediately die, he continues his course until he gets to the end of the hallway. At this point, the rogue screams, wait, but it's too late as he steps on the second pressure plate, and they both die in a horrible, mashing way. All right, so it's a double trap. Yes. So how does this thing work? All right. The seesaw consists of two pressure plates and a large floor balancing mechanism. So think of a seesaw hidden underneath the floor of a dungeon. Stepping on the first pressure plate primes the system and winds an internal gyroscope, much like the winding of a titanic clock. Okay. You press it down, it just kind of winds it up, right? Pressing the second plate at the end of the hall activates the mechanism and starts the trap. The seesaw body is roughly 40 feet long and hidden beneath the floor, and each plate is uh, roughly 10 by 10 on either side. Nice. So it's a large seesaw. The idea, you know, is the rogue goes to the end of the hallway. Everybody else waits 40 feet back. Sure. They've already activated both traps. They all die. Yeah. The trap, once activated, slams the plate into the ceiling, which is usually reinforced, and then drops while the other side begins the same process of slam, 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 slam. It should be noted that deactivation of one pressure plate does not stop the trap. If someone steps on the second plate, it then reprimes the first pressure plate, and the process starts over. Of course it does. They're gnomes, man. They're smart, right? Also, any weight on either side of the trap helps wind the trap further so it keeps going, like winding your watch. Right. Smaller versions of the seesaw exist as well, so it could be like a 5x5 five five pressure plate or even bigger if you want. Right. Your dungeon really can determine that. Determine the makeup of the seesaw. Also, some can include much longer bodies than the 40x40 40 40 width of the uh, actual pressure plates. That's necessary if you've got a taller room. Yeah, or uh, think of it like this. If you've got a 20-foot-long corridor, then the balancing mechanism is 20, by, is 20 feet long, right? And right. you get the pressure plates on either end. Or you could have it in the center. It could be even smaller than that, right? It could be a five by five, and then maybe a five foot space in between both plates. Sure. So use whatever discretion as a diabolical DM that you need. If the roof is too high, you can have one side launch the players, and then the other side launches the opposite player into the players, and then they all fall in the center. Absolutely. Take falling damage. Whatever's whatever's fun, right? Yeah. How, however it amuses you. So what is the lore behind this thing? Bleshma the Powdery was a gnomish baker of much renown. Okay. In her twilight days, she suffered from horrible arthritis and sought for a way to knead her beloved gnomish rye dough. The seesaw came about due to her failed attempt at creating a bread maker. Yeah, needed something for automatic kneading. Yeah, didn't work out. Ended up killing a couple of people. Gnomish inventors, being practical, said, you know what, this would make a great trap. (laughs) Still useful. Still useful, right? Now, what's ironic is... As often the case, when we create traps or monsters or whatever else, literally anything, we tend to write separately and then come back and put the stuff together in a document. Yes. And you also have a a bread-related trap. I do, in fact. And so, I love it. Tell me about flower power. All right. The players find a dry storage filled with various food staples. Dorbo, the ever-hungry barbarian, rushes in. Mm Mm-hmm. And from Dorbo's perspective, the world goes white. Then there's a small grinding sound, and then light, pressure, sound, and the sense of flying. That's what you get when you're Dorbo. 
That's true. Damn you, Dorbo, you've killed us once again. <laughs> awesome. So, not a lot to go on here, right? Very, no. very dim description, but I know what it is. <laughs> Tell me how this trap works. Flower power, is it a flower-related trap? Yes. Okay. But not with petals. F-L-O-U-R. Yeah, baking stuff. Yes. All right, cool. Tell me how this thing works. Okay. Tripping the wire releases two bags of flour that slam into each other. The weight released from this trips a spark wheel that sets off the flour explosion. So you step in, you got a trip wire, drops the bags, sparks the bags. Of course, anybody knows when flour explodes, you can light it on fire. Yes. In the real world, mills were a very dangerous place because too much flour in the air becomes explosive. This is based off of that principle. That sounds great. Yeah, what a great way to die. <laughs> Just launched killed out of a pantry. Launched out of a pantry, killed by some bread. All right, what's the lore behind this thing? The original intent of this setup was designed for igniting coal dust in a large gnomish engine to get the engine pumped and running. Sure, it's like a primer. Yeah. <laughs> a coal dust primer. So what, it drops two bags of like coal dust and ignites it? Yeah. Sure. However, Noma Chef Bandersnod Weaselblimp repurposed it due to the high rate of loss he was experiencing from his pantry. So people were stealing from him. He's like, this is a great idea. I'm going to do the same thing, except I'm going to use flour instead of coal dust. Yeah, because coal dust will get all over the food, but flour's flour. It's fine. It's already all over. Except the for the fact that when it ignites, it's going to... Look, details, man. It's going to already bake stuff. All right, that's cool. That's definitely some flour of power, let me tell you. I love it. I just love the idea of like real world examples twisted ever so slightly. And this could exist in any level of a dungeon. Yes. Anywhere there's a pantry or a barracks or any place where like people store food. So it could be a bunch of dwarves, could be a bunch of gnomes, could be a bunch of bakers. Peasants understand this trap. It can happen at any level, anywhere, in it can happen in a non-magic world. Sure. This is a thing that simply exists as a real thing. How delightful. I love all of this. Speaking of other things which are delightful, we've got what, Matt? The question of the week. All right. What delightful gnomish question do you have for me this week? It's very simple. You are DMing a gnomish city, and your players are poking at everything. Just, like, put, put their heads in the windows? Just literally everything. What does this button do? What's going on here? Oh, they're, they're dead already if they're messing with a gnomish city. If you were going to add a personalized Eric-flavored trap, what building would it be in, and what would the flavor be? It would definitely be in the library, and it would be library cards to the books that are off-limits. Mm. And on the library card would be explosive runes. Fair. Because, I love it. Because if you know, if you have the level of access to get to those, you don't need the library card. And if you're dumb enough to get the library card to try to ask for the books of, like, horrible spells like necromancy or something like that, then you sure. deserve to be exploded. Absolutely. What would yours be? A gnomish cafe. Okay. Tell me a little bit more. If you start screwing around behind the counters and doing things you shouldn't be doing, maybe you decide to make your own drink. The big old-fashioned espresso machines mm -hmm. with the steamers and everything. Looks like a mi like mining equipment, the yeah. big like tub. Brass with and copper ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jets of steam. It's a cone of steam. Oh, very nice. <laughs> the barista's revenge. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. Boy. It's bad times. Coffee pot big enough to like literally produce enough heat to like 
make a blimp float? Sure. Gotta love it. Yeah, steampunk coffee. <laughs> of course, we're always interested in what you have to say for the question of the week. If you've got an answer for us, hit us up at Goblins Corner on Twitter, Mastodon, or Blue Sky, and of course, all of the other social media channels that Matt tends to post on. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can just comment down below. Right there. Yep, that's what it's there for. Yeah, of course, if you're listening, you didn't see me gesture. That also true. So we're talking about gnomish death traps. We've got a couple more. We've got four more, in fact. Yes, and you have the next one named insult to injury trap? Yes, this is definitely an insult to injury trap, if I ever said so myself. Okay, so what's the description on this thing? Deep within the cavern, your party comes across a titanic, heavily detailed stone door, complete with an arcane-looking lock, sporting a series of buttons. Gotta love buttons. big-ass set of double doors, right? Yeah. The priest sends for the rogue, who begins to work on the lock, eager for the treasure within. Suddenly, a blade pops out of a random location on the door and slices off the rogue's right arm. As he rolls about and screams, the voice of the door says, Can somebody give this guy a hand here? <laughs> nice. Oh, that's delightful. How does it work? The insult to injury trap consists of two parts. The first is a series of bladed, multifaceted arms which pop out of the random points in the door to strike an unfortunate individual. The second, and some would say the worst part of the trap, is an advanced magic mouth programmed to insult and respond to those addressing it. So the magic mouth is literally just there to insult you? Yes. I love it. What's not to like about that? Exactly. The series of buttons on the locks, not actually a lock, nor technically a trap. It's actually the control mechanism for the blades. And any individual that tries to unlock or deactivate the trap actually just activates a random blade and a series of insults. Nice. The actual lock is near the top of the 20-foot doors towards the right, cleverly disguised as part of the door's detail work. So imagine this. So no matter how much you play on the little keypad... Rogue's furiously pressing buttons trying to deactivate this shit, and a blade pops out, slices off his leg. Sure. Someone comes and helps him, presses it again, it slices off another limb. Meanwhile, the whole time, the door is insulting the person. Sure. And they're insulting him back. It's imagine like the world's greatest heckler messing with you. Okay. So what's the lore behind this thing? Your Rolando Starsettle, famed monk bard, created a training dummy to test both his reflexes and near him to hecklers. All right. This creation proved to be too much for the famed fighter, and after too many hurt feelings, he sold it to some enterprising merchants who promptly installed it into their vault door. I love the fact that the blades weren't what prevented him from keeping it, but it was the insults. <laughs> yeah. You imagine he shows up, he's like, this, 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 it's like a, imagine like a mook jong with a mouth, right? Sure. A bladed mook jong. And he's just like, he's like, man, I mean, I'm, I'm work, I'm doing my katas, I'm moving around and stuff, but it just hurts my feelings. It's just too nasty. I got to get rid of this thing. Too rude. And somebody's like, oh, we got this vault door for our bank. We need installed. They just put it right in the door. Sure. That's what a gnome would do. Yeah. Speaking of, like, doors and stuff, you actually have a door trap. Yes. So talk to me about Warbluck's alchemical vault. All right. The party approaches a large, seemingly impenetrable vault door, the face of which is an entirely enclosed alchemy lab that can be manipulated via dials and levers on the door. So the door is a lab. Yes. All right. Like actually inset with dials and levers. So you can and, see like glass mm -hmm. and, and like an alchemical laboratory inside. Yeah. You know, like the, the little hand things that you reach into with the rubber gloves, yeah, like yeah. NICU units and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Loving it. 
instructions lie about the chamber, which require knowledge and alchemy to interpret. That's your description, right? You apparently have instructions around you, and there's a door with a lab inset. And a lever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. How does this thing work? This alchemical lock requires an alchemy skill check to open or a significantly harder thieves tools check. Failure, in any case, results in either a 15-foot cone, a 10-foot cube, or a 60-foot line, determined at random, of variable damage. Roll on it, whatever damage chart you want. So you have to make an alchemy check or you're going to get blasted by something nasty. With a random... Line, curve, effect. Yeah, love that. That's great. Right, because it's alchemy. It could go any kind of direction. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Success opens the lock to what lies beyond, as it should. To the room. Right. Supposedly in the dungeon. Okay. Those that succeed in an alchemy check find the doors open as well as providing 1d4 random alchemical potions. Cool. So I succeed on the check? You might get an alchemist fire or some acid. Any sort of napalm, like yeah. bomb, or something like that. Firearms and explosives, for example. Sure. Yeah, anything could happen, right? Awesome. What's the lore behind Warblock's alchemical vault? So Warblock, tired of doing his own basic work, designed a door that allowed others to do the menial work of lesser alchemy for him before being granted entrance. After all, those that cannot succeed obviously have nothing worthwhile to discuss. I like this idea that... This alchemist is so pissed off at his lessers that he's like, look, if you even want to talk to me or get into the lab, you've got to craft something alchemical first before I have any want to talk to you. This absolutely screams chemistry professor to me. What a bastard. (laughs) This is great. What an awesome... (laughs) You could insert this in any part of a city campaign. I would definitely put it in a school. Oh, yes. You know what this would be great for? Strixhaven. Oh my God, this would be great for Strixhaven. I didn't even totally think about that. This would be amazing for Strixhaven for like a potions class. Yeah. The students can't even get in until they make something for the potions master. I love it. That's hilarious. Yep. Guess what's going in Strixhaven, at least our version. Such a delight, my friends. Now, you have a trap that is simply named... The cage. Yes, and you'll probably get this when we get to actually how it works. Okay. And if you don't, you probably never played with the game. Okay. What's the description? The party gathers near the treasure chest, arguing over who should be the first to open it. This is a common thing with most adventurers. As they shuffle about, the ranger hits a pressure plate, and the group freezes. A small iron ball rolls about, and after many minutes of weights, counterweights, grinding gears, and a bathtub, the party finds themselves enclosed in a room-sized metallic cage. Okay. <laughs> so imagine from like the Goonies, something hits something else, like a Rube Goldberg machine just kind of sets off a chain reaction, and then eventually <laughs> this big gigantic metallic cage encloses the whole party. Sounds good. How does it work? Well, the weight from the pressure plate winds a gear, which smacks an ogre-sized shoe, which kicks a bucket filled with a large stone down a winding set of staircases. Mm-hmm. But wait, there's more. The rock smacks against a pole, upon which an iron sphere is balanced at the top. This sphere then falls into a dainty, gnomish bathtub, through the hole of the bathtub, and lands on a wooden platform which hosts a small green idol on the other side. The idol majestically flies into the air, landing in a mining barrel, which activates a counterweight and drops a large metal cage upon the unsuspecting victims. Mm-hmm. 
All right. If you guys haven't get it, gotten it yet, go look up some games. <laughs> the cage is party size, so minimum of 10 feet. Again, adjust for your game. Sure. Impervious to damage and magic and requires a DC 40 combined strength check to overcome. Nice. It is a heavy ass cage. That's <laughs> Indeed. it. Indeed. It's just designed to keep you there. Yes. What is the lore behind this particular <laughs> trap? Legend has it a crazed wizard named Milton, along with his apprentice Bradley, crafted this strange trap in an attempt to capture cranium rats and failed. The idea was that all of the stuff moving about would kind of mesmerize the cranium rats because mm-hmm. they'd be like, what? What is? What the what fuck's is, going on with where this? Is that? Who yeah. the? Yeah. And oh no! The, and then the cage comes down, right? Right. And they adapted it to party of adventures. Sure. I'm. I'm going to stop the obligatory joke because why <laughs> ruin the whole concept? Sure. Lastly, we have, I would say, the best and simplest trap as well. Indeed. And Matt, I got to give you credit where credit is due. We were talking about traps, and this is one that you did. We did talk about together. Yeah. And. I laughed for at least five minutes when I heard this. How delightful this is. So I'm going to do the description. You tell me how it works. All okay. Right? This is called the fake flump trap, my friends. The party rounds the corner and stumbles upon a cute, huggable flump. How delightful. The flump-loving wizard rushes over to embrace the delightful creature and is promptly sliced to bits with a loud pop. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Runs up. It's a fake flump. Gets sliced to bits. How does it work, Matt? It's literally a helium balloon filled with razor blades. Yep, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's that's, that's the a whole mean of it. Fucking trap. Yeah, <laughs> I love every bit about this. You imagine you come across a flump. Everybody loves flumps, right? You got some flump love. Yeah. And what are you gonna do in a dungeon when you see a flump? Gotta hug the flump. You gotta hug that flump. You go take it, take it along, right? Yeah. As soon as you get up there, it pops and just razor blades slice you to bits. Because we're terrible people. You guys ever see Resident Evil when the lasers just kind of cut the dude oh, into yeah. cubes? Yeah. That's what I see, except it's a flump with razor blades. Nice. Now, the lore behind it, there's no lore. Yeah, it's literally just the creation of a pissed off gnome. Yep. It's a really angry gnome. And that's what you get for pissing off a gnome. If I were going to make lore, I would say this is his response to a ruined birthday party. I think someone killed a flump in his presence. Yeah. Oh, could be. He's he's going on vengeance, man. He's a gnome of certain skills. Yeah. He's going to be killing some bastards that killed that flump. I tell you. Sometimes they got it coming. So there you have it. Eight whimsical death traps for you to use in your dungeon or campaign created by gnomes originally repurposed from other inventions. Sure. Use them as you see fit. We find them amusing and we hope you do as well. And... If you don't think these are particularly usable for you, hopefully they'll be inspiration for you to make your own. Because that's what we're here for. Yeah, a little bit of inspiration. Yep. Any questions or comments, hit us up at Goblins Corner on Twitter and all the other socials. Did you enjoy this podcast? We've got a team of gnomish researchers working on the next one. Subscribe to it on your favorite player, YouTube, and Twitch. Click the five stars and give us a review on iTunes or Podchaser. On YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. It helps get our show in front of more people, and it feeds the hungry algorithm. Which is currently stepped on something where the pressure plate activates, and the Rube Goldberg machine just kind of throws a bunch of marbles around, and you hear a click, 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 thud. I was thinking it was going to have giant, like, bear trap teeth. That would work, too, yeah. Yeah. You never know with that algorithm. Deadly algorithm. Indeed. That's all the time we have for tonight. Once again, my name is Eric. And I'm Matt. We'll see you next time. Good night, folks. 
The Goblin's Corner has been written and produced by Eric Holden and Matt Staples. D20 did our music. And this is, in fact, a subterranean production. Your voice is so low. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>